1: Kyle Krabs here host of locked on NFL scouting join Joe Marino and me
0: every day as we provide position by position analysis of the upcoming NFL draft check out the locked on NFL scouting podcast with the draft dudes on YouTube or wherever
1: you listen to your favorite podcasts it is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your host Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you.
0: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals Podcast. A little bit of extra zest for you today. I like it. Just a little bit, though. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You might remember they were a sponsor during the draft as well. You can go give them a look at ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. And give it a look. We'll give you some more information about what ZipRecruiter is great at uh, close to the break. But if your company's hiring, go give ZipRecruiter a look. Today, Joe, we have for the good people of Lockdown Bengals Twitter, a mailbag, a bonus mailbag. Let's just talk about what's going on today first. I didn't see anything new for undrafted free agents. In fact, I didn't really see anything in the way of news coming out uh, from Paul Brown Stadium today. However, I did see the Bengals booth podcast. Dave Lapham said, interestingly, that the team had a 2A grade on Drew Sample, meaning they valued him in the top third of the
1: second round. That's extremely, uh, that's a high grade. If, if you don't know, uh, you, and, and most reports around right before the draft were 15 to 20 first round graded players uh, for most teams around the league around the, the, about the average for them. So if you have a 2A on somebody, that means they think he's between 20 and 40, I would say. Uh, 20 and 30, if you really wanted to get it closer to that.
0: I think the Bengals might do it a little bit differently. I think they actually have ABC, so a 2A. I I think they're saying these are the guys who are willing to draft in the first round, so they still have a
1: 1C, which would be... What 20 to 35? I don't think that's it. No, you would yeah. have like Let's say they have 18, let's say, let's do an even number. Let's say 20 first round grades. Okay, okay? they would have one A, one B, one C, and that's just so, divided in thirds into the 20. Exactly, right? And, and they could have a bunch of one A guys and a small group of one B and small group of one C, but one A is probably your blue chip guys, right? One, different than the way that I
0: conceptualize it. I conceptualize it as like we have 32 guys, one A to one C. And now I have 2A that starts at 33 to 30 to, to 45, I guess.
1: Yeah. I And I see, I have answered questions about this recently too, and maybe they do it differently than what I understand from most teams, but it is that uh, you have your first round graded players and then you rank them. Who are the blue chips? Those are your 1A. Let's say there's yeah. seven guys in this draft. Now you've got 13 others. You decide, all right, who's in the B group? Who's in the C group? That that helps you split them right off the bat, right? And you say, okay, we got six here or seven there. And um, from there, you you know you you decide those individual rankings within that group. But then two A now goes on the second. Now you go to the right second round, and you may have forty guys in the second round. You usually have yeah. way more in that in that, in that grouping, uh, and then you can divide that by 15, 15, and fifteen. If you got forty five guys, and so if he's two A, he is premium target for second round. Now it doesn't mean it means if they trade back to twenty five and there's no round one guys, they could have took taken Drew Sample at twenty five in the first round. They obviously didn't get in that scenario, but a, a, a two way is a premium second round pick. Basically, he could have been in there with a lot of really good players. I think you can probably
0: see teams that stick to this more strictly than others. I think oh, the yeah. Bengals will just go, OK, all of our one A, one B guys are gone. We're going to go one C two A. But you'll yep. see the Seahawks and Nolan's will be like, well, we're going to trade back 70 times.
1: Yep. And I, I talked about this with the uh, with the Packers selecting Aaron Rodgers and how they had one first round guy left yep. on their board when they picked that twenty four, and yep. they didn't want to dip into the number two guys into their two eight. Let's say they want they were like basically saying no, we have a first round grade on Aaron Rodgers. This is stupid to not take him. But it was the argument between coaches and personnel, and uh, they ended ultimately, you know, took the guy with the one probably who who knows if it was 1AB or C but it was a first round grade on Aaron Rodgers.
0: It was a really cool video that one. That was enjoyable to watch. I would love to watch Duke Tobin reminisce about what he's done in the drafts when he's gone yeah. from the Bengals in 2030 years say because you know he's a
1: lifer. Yep. Just like Mike Brown, he's part of the family now. There was uh, some big news though, Jake. You're forgetting one thing. Very important news. We basically found oh, number news. Out, Is yeah, that what we basically, we're going? That's where we're going. We found out who's going to have a successful career today out of their their rookie class. That's right. I mean, already. They don't even have to hit the field. We know based on what number they've been assigned. Yeah. And if you're interested, uh, we'll start from the lowest number. Number five, Ryan Finley. Number 26, Jordan Brown. Number 32, Travion Williams gets the number 32, gets hand-me-downs, man, constantly to a running back, and he's going to carry it next. 33, Rodney Anderson. Forty-eight, Deshaun Davis, that is a linebacker wearing 48. So he's already cut this year. Sorry, Deshaun, you make the roster. Uh 57 is Jermaine Pratt. I like that number for a linebacker. He wore seven at college. In college, it makes sense to me. Michael Jordan's gonna wear sixty. I don't know if I like that for an offensive lineman, but sixty is one of the numbers they wear. Seventy-three, Jonah okay Williams.
0: Because it's it's a flat number. It's a multiple of five. I like all the multiples of five. I don't care what position you play. But, but it's the
1: lowest of, this, of it's like the okay. eligible numbers. It's okay.
0: That's okay
1: like. because of 6-0. Continue. Gives, gives me bad feelings, bad juju on that one. Anyway, 73, Jonah Williams, just like Joe Thomas. That's a good number to pick. 89, Drew Sample. And 95, oh, you know what? 89, Drew Sample, just like the Jerome Simpson pick in round two. I know? said okay. this. And he got 89, though. This so. was part of an episode that we did.
0: He's wearing the same numbers, you, Ryan Hewitt, done. and the okay. same number as Jerome Simpson. I like it. Okay
1: ninety five Rennell Wren so that is your rookie class numbers
0: you know what though on the upside for thirty two Rudy Johnson wore thirty two Cedric Benson
1: was good with thirty two
0: Benson I think most people don't remember very fondly but
1: they they shouldn't go in the same category I'm just no, saying I agree of the good ones and Jeremy Hill had a good year but it's just it's just I mean did Mark Walton just wear thirty two I believe so Jeez, man, they cannot not hand out 32. Give it to a safety. Get it off running back for a while.
0: Has anyone worn five besides A.J. McCarron in the history of the Bengals? Jordan Palmer. Jordan Palmer and A.J. McCarron. The backup
1: quarterback gets number five. Oof. Big oof. Big oof. I, I did some uh, looking at fourth-round picks while we are on uh, Ryan Finley here. Just last last night, I was just thinking about it. What, what's the highest the Bengals have drafted a quarterback? And I was thinking, yeah, McCarron, right, was a fifth-rounder, but they traded up. They basically gave up the value of a third-rounder for Finley, right, because they gave up a couple six-rounders plus the, a high fourth. Was it the second pick in the fourth round, third pick, whatever it was? Uh, so they basically almost gave up a third, if you want to look at it that way. I choose not to because I don't want to believe he's the future starting quarterback. But I went back and looked, and really, they've only spent first rounders on on their future starting quarterback. Yeah. It, besides Andy Dalton, I had to go back to 1991. It was the last time they spent a fourth round pick on a quarterback or higher. They've never spent even a third rounder on one. You know, was, I went back to 91 finding the last fourth rounder. But uh, in that time frame, it's been all first rounders: Andy Dalton and Ryan Finley. It really was surprising to see that.
0: Then they had a couple in the fifth round. I looked, according to Cincy Jungle, the best Bengals player to wear number five in the history of the Bengals. You have any guesses at all?
1: And AJ McCarron. It's probably Neil, some old guy that wore Neil Rackers, you're going to say. Neil Rackers. <laughs> yeah. And that's not bad,
0: I guess. He was a fine kicker. He was much better elsewhere.
1: And also, in that, it's something that we've talked about, and uh, I think a lot of people have alluded to, but they have spent a lot of picks in the fourth round at defensive tackle and offensive line. Yep. I went through that history also because they've had some—they're almost 50-50 betting in the fourth round, which is significantly good. Yeah, it's if Mike different. Jordan goes on and has a Clint Bowling career, you're thrilled. You're happy. If Rennell Wren has even Ryan Glasgow impact, you're yeah. happy, right? Yeah. Andrew Billings' impact, you're happy. I'm not going to say Geno Atkins, but they've had they've had other guys. Doma Tapeco is in there. Not a defensive tackle, but Robert Gathers was fourth-rounder. I put, looked at all their fourth-rounders. It's basically 50-50, which you cannot Pretty say good. about about their first, second, or third round. Third round has, has been disastrous. They're probably... Out of the 15 years I went back, and they've had multiple third-rounders because of compensatory picks, but uh, maybe five guys. They're hitting maybe 25% in the third round, and really going about, it's really close to 50 in the fourth. So three fourth-round picks, Ryan Finley, Renell Wren, and Michael Jordan.
0: And here we are again feeling good about a third-round pick.
1: I think for the second year in a row, I think most people
0: felt pretty good about Malik Jefferson last year. And Sam Hubbard. And Sam Hubbard. And Sam Hubbard looks
1: like he's going to be yeah. at least a, a guy at least a contributor, at least someone who can play in 8 minutes and you're not you're not upset about that at all. At yeah. least. Let's answer a few questions, yeah? Yeah.
0: Are we ready? Have you talked about all the number things you want to talk about? Yep. Yeah. All right, our first question comes from Adam at Oregon Bengal fan. Thanks for another question, Adam. What do you think of the lack of drafting a wide receiver while double dipping at running back? And what are your thoughts on Stanley Morgan? I like the signing, but hope to see more activity at wide
1: receiver, either in the draft or in undrafted free agency. Adam, my man, we've been talking for a long time. Thanks for another question. Uh, I've said before, I love the idea of double dipping at running back. Uh, I think two six-round picks, you're... Bound to hit up one contributor, maybe I hope you know it, it's much better than them spending what I feel are premium picks in the second and fourth round that they've done that recently. And then I think the cost for running back there is just way too high to keep spending those type of picks. So I love the two six rounders. I thought they'd take a wide receiver at some point. I am ecstatic to hear that Stanley Morgan is the undrafted guy to go to Cincinnati. Uh, I thought they'd, if, if you're a receiver in this class that didn't get drafted, and, and Morgan was probably one of the top guys. Yeah, he he definitely was for us. But if you went undrafted, you should have signed with the Bengals if they were offering because you have a great opportunity to crack this roster. For me, when I watch Morgan, quick feet, man. And you see it on his three cone, too. Really good three cone. But he attacks the ball downfield, plays above the rim, uh, can box out a corner. A lot bigger than his size, too, right? He's way bigger. Yeah, and, and you can see he's got some power when he goes up for it. Great ball skills. Uh, I don't know his arm length. Yeah, I feel like I want to say he's got long arms because of this, and I could be completely off base there, but that's just how it feels when you watch him. He made a lot of crazy catches too, downfield, one-handers, red zone stuff. I think he's going to make the team. I think he can have an impact. Honestly, we had him as, Jake, this is one thing we didn't do on our spreadsheet. We didn't have round grades, right? We had our
0: fourth. I him, was going to say
1: fourth. Okay, so I'm in agreement. I think fourth round would have been extremely fair for Stanley Morgan, and I was surprised by when we got to fifth, sixth. I'm like, man, Stanley Morgan's not taken yet. Amongst the other guys around that time, there were still some good receivers. But then in the seventh, he was definitely the guy I wanted when it went undrafted. So I'm, I'm very happy with that. I still think receiver is an area of need. I was going to talk about this if we didn't have uh, a question that, that brings it up, but I still think looking at it, linebacker and wide receiver are probably the top two needs going into this part of the, the, the season just because linebackers got a lot of questions, but I could see those being the top two needs when we get into next year's offseason.
0: Yeah, I think the wide receiver position, especially when you look at the depth, is really interesting because they've lost guys at the top of the wide receiver depth chart each of the last few years, and it gets, yeah. it, the, the falloff is – Steep. You you yes. you look at teams around the league and they still get production out of their backup wide receivers to some degree. It's not as good. Anytime you go from A.J. Green or in the Bengals case, Tyler Boyd to Josh Malone and Alex Erickson, there's going to yep. be a significant fall off in both of those positions. But other teams seem to have less of a fall off. Whereas when the Bengals lose those guys,
1: you're like, well, I guess we're not passing the ball today think of the rams they lost cooper cup right and that's that was their target guy it was he's basically could be their number 1 in that offense in terms of consistent targets and then who steps in josh reynolds and he has a bunch of big days for them and w- josh reynolds should be our josh malone and they he, he should be able to jump in and, and have an impact under our last regime uh, you know with marvin it just you never got that with those backups stepping in and being able to play
0: yeah, since, since Marvin Jones and Mohamed Sanu anyway, and Marvin Jones is a great comparison, I think, for Reynolds while we're on the topic. Anyway, you look at the back end of the Bengals depth chart at wide receiver, and right now it's Cody Core, Auden Tate, Stanley Morgan are, I think, your primary competitors for the last roster spot. And then you yeah. throw in Hunter Sharp, sure. uh, Kermit Whitfield, and Morris Boringer are the, are the other guys on the roster right now. And none of those names are inspiring a lot of confidence, right? Boringer is actually a freak
1: athlete, but... And I think he's playing tight end, too, right now. Did they move him to tight end, or did they move he was him taking to receiver? Snaps. I think he was taking snaps at tight end last time. Uh, but we also shouldn't—I don't know if you meant to go just towards the last guy's fighting, but I do think Alex Erickson will be a good fit for this offense in terms of how the, everyone is acting like a slot receiver in, the, in a Ram-style offense. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I think I think that the top end is is, you know, who the first four are and I probably yep. Malone is the fifth, but maybe not.
1: I mean, I think Malone might go into that group you we were just talking about. It might be core the fifth because he can play special teams. And if you're keeping five active, that fifth guy must play special teams. It, it might be. On and the other uh, hand, I
0: think Josh Malone. I mean, as a fourth round pick, I mean, new staff. But as a fourth round pick, you expect a lot more. He should than be, the yes. sixth round
1: pick, and he was young too. We talk about breakout age for receivers. Josh Malone was coming out at twenty years old. Twenty, he was. He was about to turn twenty one that summer, I believe. Uh, he is still extremely young, and uh, he should be taking another step. They thought it would happen last year, but it would be no surprise if it happened in his the year he's turning in 23 uh, for him to take that next next step in his development. So uh, there is still hope for Josh Malone.
0: He didn't technically have his breakout age until his 20-and-a-half-year-old season. I don't know it was how the last exactly year it works, but yeah. it's, it's 52nd percentile there, 68th percentile for productivity, give or take. So still some some reason to think that there's some development left there. Yeah. But this year, next year's getting to be his last year's, and of course next year's the last year on his deal, so that's probably the last chance for him in Cincinnati. Maybe the NFL. Just one other point I want to make before we move on. You say that you hope to see more activity at wide receiver in the drafts and undrafted free agency, and I think we both agree with that. Joe mentioned he thought they would take a receiver, but the other thing to keep in mind is that in a week, players that you sign as as unrestricted free agents no longer count against compensatory picks or maybe that's already happened. I don't really know. No.
1: Yep. May 7th,
0: May 7th. Okay. So looking out a week from now, they might start looking at veterans to bring in to bolster the roster.
1: Yep. And I think we got a question on that coming up, but the next one now is from Jojo jammer. And he asks, can or will the defense improve with this current crop of linebackers and ends? I think so. I think
0: that the defensive end rotation should just get better, right? Because Sam Hubbard, who had a very productive rookie year, especially for a third-round rookie coming into his second year, you should see some moderate yeah. improvement from him. For the most part, you do see development in year two from defensive line players. There's yeah. a chance of a sophomore slump for sure, but you doubt it. If Carl Lawson stays healthy, obviously that's a boon for the pass rush. You still got the Stalwarts and Atkins and Dunlap. They add carry win. At linebacker, I think it's a question of, is is Pratt going to be able to be a difference maker in his rookie year? You're asking another third-round rookie, or is it Malik Jefferson? Another big difference might be, hopefully the defense actually clicks with these players, which it definitely didn't seem to with Terrell Austin. And when you ask, will the defense improve with this crop of linebackers and ends, I think it's important to remember that your cornerback's, make a huge difference in the success of the defense. And you go and look at pro football focus on this, and you'll see yeah. the data that it increasingly looks like quarterback is the most important position on defense.
1: Right. It's actually, that is the, the it's a symbiotic relationship, right? Pass, rush, and coverage. But they're saying it leans more towards your coverage that allows you to have sacks. And I think in today's NFL, it makes a lot of sense because the ball comes out so quickly. If you can confuse the quarterback, make them hold on to it for another half second to a second... That pass rush gets home against a a weakening offensive line talent across the league. So I would agree with them, and I like that they're doing that. I would also say one of the big winners from this draft, Jordan Willis, right? Because they didn't draft a defensive end. If Willis is going to get another opportunity to prove that he can be part of the rotation and he can play – it really helps them that they didn't take an edge guy, and they spent a lot of time with edge defenders in this, in this process. I thought one was going to be taken because of Willis, because of Carl Lawson's health. Instead, it didn't happen, and, and Lawson's health is a big thing. If Obviously, if he's not healthy or if he misses time or if they can't find a way to get him on the field more often— then you're back down to two legit pass rushers, which are Atkins and Dunlap. And we've seen what that defense looks like when you only have two guys, you need the third leg, you need that triangle. And if you really want to have consistent pressure in the NFL without Lawson, they are in average defensive line. And I, you hate to say that because you may have a hall of famer inside and a really good franchise guy and, and Carlos Dunlap, but you need that other guy to push the pocket towards them. And, uh, it's going to be a it's a it's a big question mark i think at this point because we're we're depending on the development of of Hubbard and Lawson i mean Hubbard and Willis and the health of Lawson to really feel good about these ends and i think you you nailed it with linebackers we have to uh have hope that Preston Brown is at the very least stable and uh, and who he always was which is an okay run defender that isn't very good in, as a as a coverage guy uh but can call the plays and be a heady team leader you know he seems like an all-around good guy and you want that uh stark contrast from Vontez perfect but nick vigil is still their best linebacker and we need him to stay healthy he has not been able to stay healthy at all the last two years and if he can stay healthy if he can take even a a marginal step in the in in another direction of, of the development he's has taken i think they've got a solid starter in him the other side is a complete question mark and uh We've we hope it's Jermaine Pratt, right? We hope it's Malik Jefferson. We hope we hope a lot of these young guys turn into something, but as of right now we have no idea.
0: I will say before we move on that just looking at the depth chart for edge players right now, it looks thinner than I thought it would. It's Carlos Dunlap, Sam Hubbard, Jordan Willis, Kerry Wing, Carl Lawson. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Andrew Brown is listed as an edge player right now. I don't think anyone believes he's gonna be a real edge player.
1: I hope they're not doing that. Remember they did that to Marcus Hardison. They said, okay, you're a D tackle. He had a lost rookie year basically. And they said, oh, well, we actually need a defensive end this year. We drafted a D tackle. So you're back at end. Andrew Brown is not a defensive end. Marcus Hardison was not a defensive end. I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah.
0: Our next question comes from Lonnie at STL kiss. What is your favorite type of French fry? Is it the steak fry? The crinkle cut, curly, shoestring. Think about it. hashtag Think about it.
1: Um, I'm not a big French fry lover. I know you're gonna have to kick me out of America now, or do I get kicked out of uh, France? Anyways, because uh,
0: France is how that works. Yes,
1: right. I get kicked out of France now. Anyways, I think they're okay for the most part. I, if I can substitute French fries for anything else, I typically will when I'm out eating or at a restaurant. And even if it's a salad, I'd rather have that. But if I have to choose, this is much harder for me to choose because I think these all sound good. To be honest, the steak fry, yeah, with all the seasoning on it, the thick cut, sounds great. Crinkle cut, yeah, it holds the salt better than anything else. Uh, curly, you talking about Arby's Curly? Yeah, I'll, I'll take those. And then shoestring, yeah, you can fill your whole mouth with those, and it's uh, fantastic. So I don't have a preference. I, I, I don't have an answer for you. I think French fries are just okay, and they generally taste the same. Cop out. Curly, easy. The nice coiled Arby's Curly Fries. Next question. Sounds great. I'll take some right now. This is from Benjamin Scott. Do you think the Bengals will be signing any unrestricted free agents to help out the linebackers or edge guys after May 7th because they will not count against compensatory selections? Example, uh, Shane Ray, Jamie Collins, or Ezekiel Anza. So out of those three guys, I would say almost certainly not.
0: I do think we all expect them to make a cut somewhere along the offensive line and the most likely candidates, and these have been hinted at and whispered about, are Clint Bowling and Cordy Glenn. Yeah, And I think that both of us kind of cringe when we say that because they signed Bobby Hart to this deal that has put them in this position, ultimately, where they went out and they found a few offensive linemen in the draft. They, like, they almost had another offensive lineman in the second round. They almost traded up for Jawan Taylor or Greg Little or whoever they were targeting at the top of the second round. And now they're in this position where they have too many offensive linemen that are probably too good, and they have to cut one. Or is, they is don't, they have the answer?
1: to answer? Is, is is it too good, or is it that they're all just blah? And that you sign you've added guys this year. You're turning over the offensive line completely at some point. If you lose Clint Bowling, you've made a complete turnover of this offensive line from what it was to the new yeah. direction, and you're you're really you're building around Price and and. Uh, jonah right at this point and and so that's the idea is to get those guys in position to succeed at all costs i mean maybe too good was the wrong word maybe it's
0: expensive for what they provide yeah. and and there's just not enough roster spots for all of that and they're all kind it, of in the same skill level but you expect cordy glenn to be better yeah. maybe clint bowling doesn't have a bounce back in him, but we've been chalking that up for years and to the talent around him, and I don't want to change the way that I think about that now just because
1: there's too many guys on the the offensive line part of the roster. And I'm not saying I agree with it, but Clint Bowling and guys like Clint Bowling are getting cut all throughout the league, and it happens all the time. And so I can see it, and it wouldn't be crazy. Now, I don't agree with it because I think it only compounds. And I think if you do this with Cordy Glenn, I'll be just as upset because you gave up basically a second-round pick. To get Cordy Glenn, you missed out on whoever you would have picked, and you ended up with Billy Price because you wanted Cordy Glenn. Now a year later, I'm supposed to forget that and just allow uh, you know you to give him one year when everyone played poorly on the offensive line. Coaching changes weird. Coaching changes
0: weird in that regard.
1: But I agree with you. I do agree with you. That's one part about we we've kind of glossed over. They they spent 11 picks. I mean, we expect them to trade up, maybe end up with nine picks, right? Originally, and, and instead they trade back, get 13 picks, and end up making 11 picks and we expected more of a roster turnover and, and they, they allowed free agents to walk like Michael Johnson, Vinnie Ray and so on. Maybe that Marvin Lewis may have may have kept those guys for one more year. But usually with a new coaching staff and a new head coach, you see a complete flip of the roster. Almost half the roster can be gone in the, in that year. And I'm still kind of waiting for that shoe to drop. And I, and was this was this draft an indication? Was this draft a goodbye Nick Vigil? Goodbye Clint Bowling? Uh they already signed both tight ends but Point being is, could we be seeing these guys move? Christian Westerman, you're not ours. Even though the last coaching staff didn't give him any type of respect at all, this, this one isn't married to him or, or in any way. you know. So we may never see Westerman get a shot. I know this question was about adding free agents, but I do think if the roster purge does happen, then yeah, we could see some other guys. I think if someone gets hurt in camp, yeah, we could see someone signed. It depends on how they probably feel. Are they going for it this year, or are they trying to see what they have on this roster and this team, because it, it, those are two different scenarios.
0: I think at this point they have to be going for it, but that's probably a much bigger question. Uh, are you on our next question or am I? I think it's my uh, turn. Yeah, you you got this one. Tyler Lindsay asks, If you had the Infinity Gaunt had the ability to snap away five current or past NFL players from ever playing in the NFL,
1: who would they be? This is a ridiculous question. I'll be honest with you, and I love uh, the the uh, yeah. I'd would, would snap the entire Steelers.
0: Yeah, right. It's just like, this. It like <laughs> Steelers gone. Boom, we did it. I mean, right. there's one other one that you might throw in there, which is Joe Montana.
1: I was gonna say right. Yeah, it would have to be it have to be anyone that really made you feel pain in Bengals franchise.
0: Okay, here we go. Here's my five.
1: Okay, it's it's it's.
0: I think Montana. Even though as a player, like in, in the history of the NFL, I like Montana and the 49ers. I know that's blasphemy to say as a Bengals fan. But outside of those two Super Bowls, I've, I've liked the 49ers. I loved Jerry Rice when I was a kid. Anyway, Montana, Heinz uh, Ward, Jerome Bettis, Ben Roethlisberger. Yep. And then the last one gets hard because I don't know whether it's like Bill Cower or Kimo von Ohlhofen or Joey Porter or, or Mike Brown. You know, those, then it gets hard.
1: Ryan Shazier, Mike
0: Brown. Just snap off Mike Brown. Did he play in the NFL? He never played in the NFL, but I'm kind of stretching the rules there. It does say players.
1: You're right. I'm stretching the rules
0: here because I'm trying to
1: take Sorrow away from myself. If you could snap away Tom Brady, how much different is the AFC over the last 20 years? It doesn't matter for the Bengals. You're right. It matters for like five other teams. If you snap away
0: Brady, (laughs) then the Steelers just win like three more Super Bowls.
1: Ooh, let's not do that then well, <laughs> but unless Brady's one and Ben is the other and you know, the couple other.
0: Yeah. You got to. I think, I think for this, you have to assume that one snap, one of the five players is just the Steelers organization.
1: You know, I, I did a random nu- number generator last year and I pulled it out and, uh, I, this was after infinity war came out and I was like, okay, I'm going to snap away half the Bengals roster. And I, <laughs> oh, yeah. I have me 25 numbers. And I was like, no, AJ green got snapped and a bunch of other players. And, uh, Oh, like, this sucks! I'm not not playing with this anymore. Thanos is brutal. Who's your five though? I don't know if I have five players. I think you've named. Yeah, give me a bunch of Steelers. Go ahead and take off Ryan Shazier and. and what about Brandon Stokely? You remember that bullshit catch? Yeah, but with that, that didn't affect their year. That maybe even propelled them or get their mind
0: right. Oh, to but get I was them. so upset when it happened. Can we snap away Jeremy Hill and then he doesn't fumble it? Yeah, some people some people suggested that.
1: Yeah, that's a good uh Man, snap away your own players. Jeez, we're this is brutal. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next question is from Burke F. Game Garner. I was not gamer, Burke. Sorry about that. Uh pick what is the pick you were most excited about when it happened? Let's say in the last three drafts. All right, so here we go.
0: The 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 answer for me is you go back three years, which means 19, uh, 18, 17. And there aren't a whole lot of players that really got me excited. I did really like Jonah Williams. We were live recording. You heard my reaction there. But in 2017, the Bengals so badly, so badly needed a kicker. And they drafted Jake Elliott, <laughs> this guy with the giant leg. And then we know the rest. But at the time, they had a kicker. I was I was maybe a little upset they didn't pick the other guy. The, the guy Cleveland drafted Zane Gonzalez just because PFF was really high on him for whatever reason. But... It was a new kicker. I was excited. He had a huge leg.
1: Yeah, that's a good. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say. I, I started thinking about this year. Was there anyone this year where I was like, yeah? And I don't. Jonah. Jonah was the best pick. Yeah, and most the Most exciting pick. pick sure. And yeah, that's that's fun because there was a time, even in November, December of the of the college football season last year, we were like, yeah, Jonah's not going to be there. And then there was a time in January, and then in March and April. There were moments where I was like, he's definitely going to be there. But for the overall picture, I didn't think I expected Jonah Williams to be there. So that's an exciting, fun pick. Uh, The year before that, I did not fist pump for anyone, I don't think. Billy Price was kind of a letdown. If it was Ragnow, I would have cheered my ass off for that. Or if Uh, it was James Daniels. Sure, if it was James Daniels and they would have went that route for the upside, I would have been extremely excited with that. Jesse Bates. It was funny because I really like Jesse Bates. A lot. Of, I really like Justin Reed and Ronnie Harrison. There was a lot of safeties that went in that uh, that day two pick and, or day two, uh, day two draft last year. And I remember talking to a lot of Bengals fans like, "Well, how good is he?" Jesse Bates was kind of an unknown, I think, for a lot of people that uh, uh, last year. And there wasn't really a pick after that. I, I liked Hubbard. Jefferson was okay. I, I, I understood why he was still there in the third round des- despite being an athletic freak and being really productive. So I go to the year before that, and honestly, it was uh, it was John Ross. John Ross is the most exciting pick they've made. Darrel Lawson the last three actually, years.
0: I forgot about him. I was yeah, really Lawson, happy to get Lawson in the fourth.
1: Yeah, I was too. I was. What it came after Jordan Willis too It was like back to back. I was happy if, with that. With that in particular, I was happy that they broke the mold twice in a row with those picks and saying we're not going to go with the big long guy. We realize we got to get these quicker, shorter guys that that are uh, that can help with with different style of pass rush. But John Ross. Looking at that offense, this is with, still, I thought they could be a productive team uh, on offense with A.J. Green, and they just drafted Tyler Boyd to be in the slot. I thought getting John Ross is going to help Boyd. It's going to help Weifert. It's going to help everyone because he's the speed demon on the outside. I thought his tape was fantastic. I had him graded as a top 10 guy. I know. I'm an idiot, right? But he... You go back and watch, and I said this this weekend. John Ross still, John Ross would have been the first receiver drafted in 2018. He would have been the first receiver drafted in 2019. The next two classes have been so poor in terms of top end talent, and he's been better than both the top guys that went. And it just, for whatever reason, hasn't worked out. But yes, that is extremely exciting. A guy that's maybe the fastest in the league. It, it just, again, if that same guy is in this draft and they, and and whoever took him, if it's the Ravens taking Hollywood Brown. Check in on Ravens fans right now. They are extremely excited at the idea of that.
0: Yeah, it's crazy how stoked people are about Hollywood Brown in the NFL compared to John Ross. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break before we get to the rest of your questions. And as promised, I'm going to tell you more about ZipRecruiter and what it does in the spirit of the draft. And that's a great segue question. Looking back at our favorites, there's a lot of duds in there and I don't want you to hire duds, but there's one place you can go to make hiring simple, fast and smart a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. And you guessed it, that's ZipRecruiter.com. And you can check it out at ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter will send your job posting to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. And they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply for your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidate, so you never miss a great match. In fact, it's so effective that over 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N,
2: If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. We are answering questions in a post-draft Locked On special episode here. We like answering your questions anyways. First one is from Roger Spurgeon, and he asks... A four-man front used to be two tackles and two ends. Now I hear edge and three-tech. What are the four positions on a four-man D-line, and how are they different? So there's still two edge players and two defensive
0: tackles. That that hasn't changed. It's just that people are starting to refer to them in more nuanced terminology. So typically in a four-man front, you're going to have, starting from the inside, you're going to have a nose tackle a lot of the time. That's either in the one-gap, or sorry, is either a one tech or a 0 tech. And the numbers starting from the center and counting outward are going to tell you where the defensive lineman is lined up. So starting in the middle, it's zero. That's a nose tackle directly over the center. And then counting outward, it goes one is between the center and the guard. Two is directly over the guard. Three and sometimes four are between the guard and the tackle. Five is usually over the tackle. Six, seven gets outside the tackle, and then you hear wide nine every now and then for the guys that are way outside the tight end, if there's a tight end on that side. Right. And so when we talk about a three tech, that's somebody who is between the tackle and the guard closer to the guard. We said we weren't going to talk about shoulders, but a lot of times you'll hear people talk about on the shoulder of the guard or the shoulder of the tackle or whatever. And often a three tech is on the outside shoulder of the guard.
1: Yeah, and why is three-tech important, right? Well, why what's the distinction between nose tackle and three-tech? Geno Atkins is a three-tech. He's a penetrator. He's going to push upfield. He's going to shoot the gap between the, the guard and, and, and center, or really between the tackle and, and the guard, too. And that's why it's nice to have – Carl Lawson next to him, because Lawson can stretch out that tackle, give Geno Atkins a lot of space to work, either go left or right on that guard that he's going against. You want that guy to be more athletic, more of a pass rusher, someone that can move a little bit more. The nose tackle, obviously, is going to line up over the center, in between the center and right guard, let's say, and He wants to take on, you want to force that offensive line to put two guys on him. He's not your most dangerous guy as a pass rusher. He's not your most dangerous guy a lot of times. But you almost force them to put two guys on him based on alignment. And he needs to be able to handle it when he's in run defense. That's why they're normally bigger, stronger, have that better anchor.
0: And there's a lot of proximity there for the nose tackle too. If you get just bold rush back as a center against the nose tackle, then you're in the quarterback's lap real quick. So yep. that's why sometimes those guys, even if they don't have the gaudy pass rushing numbers, do sometimes command those double teams, even in the passing game.
1: That's right so, now, Ren. Great example for that. You hope so anyway, right? You right. Hope well, he holds yeah, he,
0: the plan and, and can put it together. He
1: didn't have the production, though, as a pass rusher, but yet he can still throw a center to the ground oh, with, sure. with ease. And, and you
0: see Gino do that, too, because every now and then they'll line Gino up over a center, directly over guard, and you'll see him walk guys back into the quarterback's lap. And, and that's what a, a really quality bull rush can do from those positions. So when people start to talk about the different techniques, they're talking about where they're lined up. Generally speaking, three technique defensive tackles are a different type of player, or you're asking them to do a different thing than you're asking a nose tackle to do, which is going to be either a zero tech or a one tech for the most part is where you're going to see nose tackles, meaning over the center, like just said, between the
1: center and the guard. One final talking? thing on the D-tackles, though, before we go to the edges. Yeah. Because a four-man front also in today's NFL could be your nickel package. And you could end up with two right. ta- yeah. good two good Geno Atkins-type guys. You could end up with three with two three-techs. So both guys are outside of the guard or over the guard uh, sometimes in, in nickel, and you don't have a nose tackle out there. There's no one over the center or, over, or directly over the guard or in, in between that gap. And you're going to try and get both guys to get a little bit of space and, and a pass rush uh, to the quarterback. So – Nose tackle is the one that you want to ha- you like to have, you don't need to have because today's game has changed into you can almost have two, three tacks out there. And the Bengals
0: do that to some degree, I think, when anyone but Andrew Billings is on the field for the yep. most part because they would run Ryan Glasgow out and they would give him nose tackle responsibilities, but he's obviously not a nose tackle size player. He's still productive there. Because right. that's the way the NFL is going, but
1: and that, even in their four or three, if it's if it's Glasgow and, and Atkins, sometimes they'll put them both at a three tech, or at least or maybe put yeah. uh, put Glasgow at a two, you know, just to slide them in a little bit. But they're saying basically what the Rams have done uh, with when they had Donald and, and Sue, neither of those guys are nose tackles either, but you can be productive with two guys that can cause havoc.
0: When you're as disruptive as those two are, it doesn't really matter where you right. line up. But you see this sometimes with the, the two guys in the three tech that Joe was mentioning. You see this a lot when the Bengals used to do what's called sugaring the A gap, which is when you see the yep. two linebackers come down and be, you'd have one linebacker between the tackle, or sorry, between the center and the right guard, one between the center and the left guard. They're they're threatening the A gaps, which is a gap between the center and the guard. And then you'd have the three techs and then you'd have the edge guys as well.
1: And the edge guys would be wide, and what and why you do that? I know we're getting way deep on this question, but why you do that is offensive line are taught to block inside out. So if you start putting more guys in in the middle, which are the two linebackers in the scenario, you, they're gonna they're gonna count two linebackers, two D tackles, and that's four guys already, right? And they're, the edge guys now become well, we better keep a running back in, we better keep a tight end in the chip, or sometimes you get a free rusher because of it, and then those linebackers drop out. And now everything's got to happen post-snap and an, an adjustment for the offensive line makes it very tough for them.
0: And it's especially useful when you have guys like Geno Atkins on the team that can be very yeah. disruptive individually, too. So even if those linebackers drop out and they make that adjustment, then maybe you end up with Geno Atkins in a one-on-one situation. Yeah. right? Or because they're there's... too late. Yeah, because of, because of communication, because they have the wrong assignment, whatever it is, Mike Zimmer was great at that. When you have a front four that can get pressure, which they did when they had Mike Zimmer and Paul Gunther, you can use that sort of look from your defense to cause confusion and free up your rushers. So we'll talk about edge guys real quick. In a 4-3 defense, in a four-man front, where all four guys have their hands in the ground, the defensive ends are your edge guys. However, if the Bengals were to stand up Carl Lawson, or you would see it last year. They would they would walk around Michael Johnson and they would walk around Carlos Dunlap and they be they would be on their feet. They wouldn't put their hand on the ground. Those guys, since they were often still ending up outside the tackles, those are still your edge rushers, right? So yep. the reason we don't say defensive end anymore is because sometimes it's a linebacker. So Von Miller is an edge player. He's listed as a linebacker. Khalil Mack, same deal. Although Khalil Mack, I guess now is a defensive end in Chicago, but
1: yeah. But even Von Miller only dropped into coverage last year 19 times. And Michael Johnson dropped into coverage more than Von Miller. So these guys, it doesn't matter if you're standing up. It doesn't matter if you got a hand in the ground. Your responsibilities are still the exact same because you're still the edge defender. You still have that tackle or tight end. You still have to set the edge in the run game. You still have the same path to the quarterback as a pass rusher. So that's why it's morphed. Because a 3-4 defense isn't really a 3-4 defense anymore. It's more of a 2-4 defense. Those... There's two D linemen. Think of the Steelers; they have Hayward and Stefan Tuitt inside, and then that's it for their D line. And they have uh, Bud Dupree and and TJ Watt as their edge defenders. They're basically defensive ends. They're that's their Carl Lawson and their and their Carlos Dunlap. Uh, sure, they can move them and mix them around a little bit more than the Bengals can because Lawson's 280 pounds, if not more. Uh, or I'm sorry, Dunlap is 280 pounds, if not more. But the responsibility is the same, right?
0: Yeah, and that's why we start to say stuff like, it doesn't matter if you're a 3-4 or or a 4-3 anymore because 60% of your snaps plus are going to be nickel and you're going to be the same thing. Everyone's going to have two interior
1: linemen and everyone's going to have two edge guys rushing the passer. And you could have three defensive ends. And I'm saying ends, I don't want to confuse you. And You could have three edge guys by definition. You could have Lawson, you could have uh, Dunlap, and you could have Hubbard. And then the fourth guy being Geno Atkins as your four defensive lineman. And you may say, well, how does that work? Well, Hubbard's going to kick inside, let's say, and he's going to play defensive tackle. Because it is a pass situation. You really don't need him in there to defend the run. You need him in there to be an athlete against the guard, which he definitely will look more like an athlete than he does against an NFL tackle. So you get yourself an advantage that way also. And uh, you'll normally see them put that guy at a 3 tech even wider sometimes, even stand him up. They did a lot with Hubbard last year.
0: Yeah. I think that's probably a deep enough dive into the mechanics of defensive line and the terminology we use there. So our next question comes from SM Rue, Sarah Rue, 9382. Thanks for the question, Sarah. I think this is the first one we've seen from you. Who do you guys think is the most promising of the draft picks and the least
1: promising of the draft picks in 2019? I'm kind of taking this question as upside, or you could say who actually hits their projection or their floor, right? I guess this would be taken a different way. Um, I'm going to go with upside, though. And I think for me, who's got the most upside of all these picks is uh, Jermaine Pratt. And I'm going to say that because he tested well enough. I think he had good production. I think his tape is good. Uh, He didn't do his his agility test, and that's the only hesitation I have on saying he's a complete... Because he tested like an elite athlete, but he didn't have a full test. So I think he's a good athlete. I think his tape is good. I think his production is good. Because of that, I think he's got a very good chance of hitting his upside and becoming a full, like Bernardrick McKinney for the Texans or someone similar to that that I think is a little bit stiff but good against the run and can be competent in coverage and and being a plus athlete at the same time with closing speed and burst and, and all of the other ways besides agility and change of direction. And you know who agrees with you? Who's that?
0: Is is Dave Lapham. He talks about the fact that he's coming up. He took a redshirt his junior year, then came back.
1: Yeah, because he and started he, he got playing hurt. safety.
0: Yeah, but he a red shirt his junior year. That's crazy. Yeah. And then came back and started playing safety. Or started playing linebacker for the first right. time after adding you know forty pounds. So that's another reason to think
1: there's still room to grow for Jermaine Pratt because he's essentially a one year starter at linebacker. Yep. yep. And uh, the only reason I'm not saying Jonah is because the history says a guy with average tested athleticism has an uphill battle to be in a, a pro bowl and all pro guy. You look at years past and even last year, the NFC, all all the NFC pro bowl offensive linemen were elite athletes tested. So um, it, 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 it has a, has a correlation and he may not be that guy, but he's, he's got a great floor and I expect him to hit it and be a good player. So uh, least promising of, of these picks. I think this is, this is tough because I don't want to pick, I guess the, the, the one I will say is Drew Sample. And I'll, I'll say oh, him because... That's a surprising uh, one for me. Yeah, because I think he's got good upside, right? And I think there's a lot more to him as a receiving option. And he tested like a good athlete. When I watched him, I watched three games today. His athleticism shows. Man, he he gets upfield in a hurry. I think he changes direction well. I think Drew Sample is a, is a fine prospect and a guy I liked pre-draft. But I will say that I'm looking at past draft history and even guys like... Uh, George Kittle for the for the 49ers, someone who didn't have a lot of production in college but tested like an elite athlete, goes in the fourth round and ends up being a really good player. He might may, he may be the best tight end. He is the best tight end in the NFL today. And people will say, well, throw out college production for, for tight ends. And then Dawson Knox and guys like that that also were similar this year, Foster Moreau. But those guys go in the fourth round. The Bengals tried to be ahead of the curve right and and that's not typical for them that how often do they actually hit on someone and everyone else was like whoa we did not see this coming look at the Bengals, there they go i just don't think that happens very often for them uh usually they're taking a consensus guy that's near the top of everyone's board and it's no surprise when that guy hits and ends up being a very good player for them so for me you could
0: say you know, Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, Andrew. Wasn't Billings, Dunlap to some near the extent, top of people's board? Christian Christian Westerman to some extent. Yeah, but, but he fell and then they took oh, okay, yeah, that's fair. Right, I see that's your point. I mean. But the other guys I mentioned, Carl Lawson, again, near the top of the board, but the Bengals were the one that took him in the fourth round.
1: Sure, but everyone also said you should be taking Carl Lawson. You know, I mean he's the if it, it didn't take the Bengals taking him to, to You mean
0: you mean a guy like the Seahawks where it's a, where it looks like right. a massive reach and
1: then it works out. The Seahawks do it consistently. The Bengals are on the opposite end where they are more of everyone yeah. agrees that they should make, take, make this pick or make this player, you know, their selection. And they go through with it and ends up working out if it does.
0: You know what? Uh, I so felt that I mean, way about Jesse Bates to some extent. I, and it was because I was unfamiliar with him. He's coming from mm-hmm. Wake Forest. But I felt that way to some extent with
1: Jesse Bates. And I think he was a lot better than I think most people thought he would be. I can see that. I know there are a lot of Jesse Bates fans. Um, now, like if the Steelers, if Terrell Edmonds would end up being really good, that would have been they're yeah. going way out on their own board, right? And then they were wrong <laughs> so far, one year in. But my point being is, I thought Sample would be a good number two blocking tight end. And if he ends up being that, if that's his cap, if that's his limit, and who am I to say it is or not, but it, that's what his profile suggests. Is that worth the second round pick? I think if he just ends up being that, people are going to be disappointed. I think he has to be not only a good blocker and a good number two tight end, he needs to develop as a receiver and a weapon and a threat at that position to be worth a second round pick at tight end.
0: I think he needs to be, an, and I'll use the same word that the Bengals coaching staff use, I think, I think he needs to be an adequate receiver and he needs to continue to be an elite blocker. And he might not be his rookie year because you never expect guys to come in. And I had this conversation no, no, no. on Twitter today. You never expect guys to come in and be really good, especially at blocking, especially at run blocking their rookie years. It happens every yeah. now and then. I'm not going to say it doesn't, but those are exceptions. My, I'm taking this question, I think, a little bit differently than you, and I'm looking at the draft, and I'm saying if all the guys in the draft hit their ceiling, the only one of these guys that if they hit their absolute best isn't going to be anything anyway. I think it's Deshaun Davis.
1: Ah, yeah. Right?
0: He he's a six round pick, so you're not really going to be that upset about it. But Deshaun Davis's best case is is Vinny Rayish. You know it right. is is Hardy Nickerson. Ray Maluga might be his absolute best case, but Ray oh, Maluga had right a lot right. more to work with than than does Deshaun Davis, at least on paper in terms of athleticism. So that's my answer for that one.
1: No, I think that's a great answer. So, it's the who's got the most promising then?
0: I I agree with you on Jermaine Pratt. I think um, Rennell Wren is another one that if he puts it all together,
1: then I don't think he can... has to put it all together. I think he could, if he can put his where he is good at together, yeah. I think he could be a, a a rotational guy.
0: But we're talking about pie in the sky, right? So if I'm saying right. I'm going to put it all together, then Rennell Wren I think is is really promising. Jordan Brown if he learns to tackle. You right. can translate right. some of that coverage from, from low competition into the NFL in a couple of years. What if he, Ronnie Anderson's really healthy? If Ronnie Anderson is healthy, he's Joe Mixon too,
1: right? right. He's a second so, round pick, maybe a third rounder. I think he's a second rounder if he's healthy.
0: I think, I think and you can go back and look at this. I could have sworn I saw some way too early 2019 mock drafts in 2018 that had
1: Ronnie Anderson going in the late first. Don't be surprised if the Bengals get a few... Day three guys, I mean that's Ryan Finley, Renell Wren, Michael Jordan, right, and the host of the the running backs and and Deshaun Davis and and Brown. But I wouldn't be surprised if they end up with two or three contributors out of day three, and maybe only two contributors out of the first three picks, right? That I don't think that would be unreasonable to think that they only hit two out of three in the first three rounds and end up getting. Michael Jordan is a is a is a rotational or I mean as a style, solid starting left guard for them and Renell Ren's an impact player and then one of the running backs are uh our number two back I think that is it, that would be a strong draft if you get day three guys like that but man I like the guys they took on day three
0: yeah I mean maybe are we changing our tune a little bit on the draft are are we bumping the grade up or are you staying to your guns no this
1: is what happens you have to stay to your original guns because you will, okay good boy you will you will get. More inclined to like these guys. I just went through and I have a different grading process when I grade actual based on talent, right? You know the board I'm talking about, Jake. And I I have grades for veteran players and rookie players, and they all came out way too high when I just did this. So I said, okay, I got to go through and tweak again and brought them back down. But first run through, I was like, man, Rodney Anderson a 71. He should not be a 71 going in the sixth round. I'm like, I need to, I need to readjust my my uh, my expectations.
0: Yeah. Well, if he is healthy, though, I mean, Andy Dalton said he's the most talented player ever to come out of Katy High School. And that is a very, very, very good high school program in Texas.
1: It's true. A 71, though, would be a fringe first round prospect. I'm just saying.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I mean, sure. But yeah,
1: knock his durability down, right? All right. We're going to the next question there. It's from G Mondos, I think, George. Uh, Anyways, he asks. I haven't heard anything about a place kicker this year. Are the Bengals bringing in some competition? I mean, we sure hope so, right? Or maybe they're just like, you know, we got (laughs) enough to
0: worry about. We can't worry about kicker. Maybe Darren Simmons is like, you know what? He's under contract. He's my guy. And maybe I actually have a sneaking suspicion that Zach Taylor has a very limited amount of authority over Darren Simmons and the special teams guys.
1: Oh, you think so? You think that like he's untouchable?
0: I mean, he, he could be. He, he's been there for so long. Through, through all these coaching changes, Darius Simmons has never gone. I know. And and with the, the decisions they've made for their specials, their special teams units have been very good, but the special lists have been average at best for the most part.
1: This is true. I think their units have been good uh, and for when they're healthy. I think once they start getting injured, things can fall off real quickly yeah. as you're placing guys off the practice squad and off the street in, the, in those positions. Uh, but, but even still, I think
0: Simmons is pretty good at getting those guys coached up.
1: I think so, too. I think their biggest issue is paying guys that are just okay, right? Bullock, Shane Graham, Kevin Huber, let's be honest. And, uh, and they pay Alex Erickson to be a, a okay kick returner when he's not hey, a very good punt returner.
0: Excellent kick returner, not a good punt returner.
1: Fine, fair. Fair enough. And uh, he's a decent receiver as a depth guy. But, yes, they pay these guys when they – probably shouldn't and they keep guys like Cedric Pierman when William Jackson's ready to come in and help play as a rookie and these are the decisions they make they value and those
0: are decisions that I think Darren Simmons is influencing so to answer the question are they bringing in competition you hope so I'm assuming there will be at least one other kicker in camp but it seems like it's Randy Bullock's job to
1: lose in a hard one to lose I think in a tie you brought up Jake Elliott earlier Elliot should have won that, and I don't care if Bullock's hitting ninety percent and Elliot's only hitting seventy eight percent. You drafted him in the fifth round; the 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 investment was already made. That that decision was made when you were willing to spend that pick on a kicker. Uh, so the fact don't that they're not bring kick
0: accuracy, by the way, if you want to defend Randy Bullock, I'm not saying you, Joe, because I know we've no, talked know. about this a lot. But if you out there are thinking about defending Randy Bullock in my mentions and you come at me with his kick accuracy. Don't, I'm going to mad.
1: Don't do it. It means, it means you're, and I'll tell you why you don't do it because they don't even try from over 45 of them. They don't even try over 50. He may make four in the last four years when other guys are kicking them uh, 20 times over 40 yards in a, in a season. So it's a much different thing to to compare uh, kick accuracy when one guy is only kicking what he can make while the other guy is actually attempting to make something that's at the edge of his athletic ability. So I don't like comparing it either, and it, you see, you will see it brought up a bunch. Maybe Randall Bullock's a great guy, and then being in the locker room with him makes you defend him a little bit, but uh, yeah. Anyways, next question. Is it me? No, it's you. You're up. Yeah, it's my turn. I was just waiting for you to finish your thoughts, being respectful. You know, our next
0: question comes from Dallas Robinson. He asks, Bill, Ro- Bill Barmel floated Bobby Hart as a potential trade candidate following the Jonah Williams selection. Is there any chance that we see this happening?
1: That would be pretty weird, I think. I'm trying to think of somebody who was extended or, or re-signed and then traded that offseason, not just for the Bengals, but around the league. I don't I don't think that happens because I think you would take a significant cap hit that would be very similar to the Bengals just outright releasing Bobby Hart, yeah. if, I, if I'm thinking of it's this. It's the
0: same cap hit except – no, yep, yeah, just same cap hit. It would be a huge dead cap hit for them this year. There would be minor cap savings, but I went and looked – at the article, and Barmel says he only has like 900k in guaranteed salary, and I don't know what the point of putting that in the article was, unless that means maybe he's attractive to another team because they only have to pay that 900 thousand if they need a swing uh, tackle.
1: Uh, but yeah,
0: the Bengals to eat five million dollars to to trade Bobby Hart for what would be at most a six round pick. I mean, they do like their six round picks apparently, but I can't see it.
1: I can't see it either. I think if anything, you could trade um Cordy Glenn for try. a right for a day three pick maybe if someone needs a a tackle man the value
0: uh, they're gonna lose on Cordy Glenn
1: yep I agree I don't like it I don't like it at all I, it starts with the Bobby Hart signing and we've talked about it to exhaustion but it gets worse with every passing I can hear decision. the
0: exhaustion in your voice I believe well, you. With,
1: with every decision they make it looks worse, right? It, yeah, it just it's, it
0: stacks on itself. It's like that lie you tell when you're a kid, like a little white lie, and then you keep they lying about
1: it, it over out. and over. And right, he has to. They have to live this lie for the next year. And it, it. We talked about like the decisions they had to make with some of their veteran offensive linemen when they drafted Fisher and Abwehi. Right, they needed to see what they had in those guys. They they invested too much in those guys to just never play them. So they eventually played them, and the team suffered for for it. Right this is a similar situation with with Bobby Hart. You're paying him. You're giving him this money, and now you're kind of, well, what do we do now? We drafted the the top tackle prospect in the draft. Well, I tell you what you do now. You put that guy in the bench. You know what he is. There's no upside there left. I don't care if he's 24 turning 25. We know what he is. He's got over 3,000 career snaps. Bobby Hart is Bobby Hart at this point. You play the best guys, and now if Bobby Hart comes in and he's a different guy and he beats out – Cordy Glenn in a competition, fine. That's what I want. I want honest competition. But let's let's be honest with each other. I don't feel like they'll even let that be an an option. I think like, I think one of these guys will get cut, and then they'll open the competition, or they'll it'll be a facade kind of competition. Just because maybe not maybe that was a Marvin Lewis thing, but I, it feels to me like a Mike Brown Bengals org, organization money thing. I don't disagree. I'm next here. Keegan Cantrell, seeing the draft. Keegan's a good guy to follow too. You should follow him. Uh, does a lot of good draft work and he's a Bengals fan he asks who was a player in each of your shadow drafts that you had on your radar but was drafted shortly before you picked he says mine was will greer i think for me it was chase winovich
0: he was picked uh 77th overall which was two picks before my 79th pick and i i really like chase winovich value there
1: you know, I was eyeing T.J. Hawkinson with the first-round pick, and he went number eight. I picked ninth. You were going to pick Ed Oliver over. No, I was thinking Oliver was going to be gone. So, like, oh, as it okay. was, as we were around pick four, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to get Hawkinson. I'll be cool with that. He'd re, you know, I think he's a perfect wide-tight-end prospect in this draft. And then it was Greer, so I wasn't upset. I can't think of too many specific instances of the past drafts. I've had a lot. You know, that's something I, I – Don't give too much thought afterwards because I got who I got and I kept moving. I kind of feel like I sound like a GM right now doing this. You you do forget about it, though,
0: right? And so it kind of gives me some sympathy for GMs and like, you know, we got really good guys. We got all the guys we targeted because you forget about, oh, yeah, I was targeting. I I just had to go back and look at at the top 100 draft order to see who I missed. And I'm pretty sure it was
1: Chase Winovich. You know, I uh, and I'm thinking of past years where I was like, oh, I really wanted that guy. And I didn't it. it, Sometimes you're betting on them to be there one more round. I think I can wait one more round. This guy should be falling. Then he goes in round two or a little bit earlier or guys that I just didn't pull the trigger on for whatever reason in early in the the shadow draft uh, for me. I was trying to, like, once I was taking best player available, right, for the first three years or so, and then you get to, like, year four, and you're like, man, I really need a tight end, or I really need a left guard. So you start targeting these guys, and I look back and I go, how did I end up with Telvin Smith? What was I doing in that round, picking whoever it was that's not even on the roster anymore? Talvin Smith was easily number one on my board, but I just said, I don't need a linebacker right now because I drafted Arthur Brown the year before. So, you know, it's I can see how these things happen, And but to answer his question more specifically is – there's maybe guys I was targeting in specific rounds or whatever and and they go and I say okay who's next on the board and I take them and i think that's probably how teams view it you've already put in the work you already feel comfortable with the next guy on the board because if you didn't you want to have him as the next rated guy so you know you get there and you say all right i'll take this guy instead
0: All right, we'll get into our last question for this mailbag. We are going to do a couple this week. So if we didn't answer your question, we only took 12 today, I believe. We usually take more like 20. Uh, There will be another opportunity for us to answer your questions on Thursday. Last question, though, comes from Andrew at Dockers 77. If the two drafted running backs stay healthy and perform, is there any trade market for Giovanni Bernard and would the Bengals entertain it?
1: Hmm, two different questions, right? Would there be a market for Bernard? I think it's tough. I think trading running backs is tough because everyone has two. Look around the look around the league, and if Gio's a number two, is he a top five number two? Because he'd have to be for another team that's got a guy that they feel okay with to say, you know what, he's worth giving up a fourth-round pick to get Bernard. And then for, from the Bengals' flip side, is a fourth-round pick worth Giovanni Bernard? I don't think so. I'd rather keep him for another year and play him and You will get to that third and fourth guy. The third guy is going to play because he has to play special teams. And there were times where Mixon and Gio both got hurt last year. And you should say that that third and fourth guy has value on this roster. And if you need to dip into them and they're good, that's a bonus. That's great. You want that. But I wouldn't be inclined on getting rid of Gio. I think Gio in a better offense has a much different career. And he's been good for the Bengals. And he's he's dealt with injuries also. But the whole line has been crap. The running game and and the coordination of it and figuring out how to use Gio and Hill together was a mess. Uh, Getting him open and getting him to be a a complete weapon in the passing game has been a joke. I think I'd love to see Giovanni Bernard in a functional, smart, forward-thinking offense. And if that's what we hope we have, and I think we do, uh, I want to see that. That actually got me maybe the most
0: excited I've been for the new coaching. Class, <laughs> thinking about <laughs> an actual offensive staff having an opportunity to leverage Giovanni Bernard the way he always should have been used. Yep. Because there's talks right now that the Browns are interested in trading for Gerald McCoy. And there's like, I, I feel like I read that that was centered around Duke Johnson.
1: Yeah. I don't Both think Duke Johnson would like is, to get rid of the other guy.
0: Uh, yeah. And Duke Johnson isn't going to be nearly enough to to get Gerald McCoy as a return. Yep.
1: But, you think, right?
0: I mean, come on. Right. Talking about that as your centerpiece, I mean Duke Johnson at this point in his career is better than Geo, but very similar players.
1: Yeah, very similar in their types, how much you can actually use them, what yeah. you're going to do to 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 use them and get the ball to them. I think they're very similar, even if Duke is slightly edging out Geo.
0: I agree. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals Mailbag. Later this week, we will get into a expectation setting episode. I think that's what we're going to do next. We're going to talk about the worst case, the realistic case and the best case looking at it from now. This will be May 1st looking into looking into the 2019 season. We'll give you some different scenarios of how things might go. Another reminder that this episode has been sponsored by ZipRecruiter. You can check them out at ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on to try them for free if you have any hiring needs that's ziprecruiter.com slash l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n thanks for listening to the locked on bengals podcast and we'll see you next time bengals fans
2: hey prime members you can listen to this locked on podcast ad free on amazon music download the amazon music app today